It has been said that when people want to change history, they use battles or ballots. But when God wants to change history, God sends a baby. And so the story this morning is about the baby God sends and how Pharaoh tries to do battle to put an end not just to this baby, but to all of the Hebrew male babies. Not only was there a problem, as we talked about last week, with the growing Israelite population, but according to tradition, Pharaoh's own astrologers told them that the God of the Hebrews would send a rescuer for his people, and that rescuer would meet his demise in water. And so Pharaoh devises this plan then to feed all of the babies to the Nile River, to the God of the Nile, all the male babies. Now what's interesting is biblical scholars will tell you that indeed Moses' worst moment comes when he tries to get water out of the rock by striking it, and it forfeits his entry into the promised land. So in some ways, uh, Pharaoh's astrologers probably had it right. But on most every other measure, Pharaoh had it wrong, and he decides to do battle against the babies. And first, he uses midwives, and he tries to tell the Hebrew midwives, now, as soon as you help the women give birth to a male baby, kill it. But, of course, they won't do it. So then he comes up with this plan to have all the babies thrown into the Nile. And that's exactly what Moses' mother does. But first, she puts him in a basket. And what's interesting is that in Hebrew, the word for basket and ark are the exact same word. So it shouldn't surprise us that Moses ends up in an ark. And just like Noah before him, this ark spares him from, uh, from death, and he survives the flood. Then we're told that uh, as she is bathing at the riverbank, Pharaoh's daughter, own daughter sees um, this basket. And then it says that she sends her attendant to get the crying baby. Another thing that's interesting is Hebrew doesn't have near as many words as English, and so often words have to double. So what's fascinating here is the word for attendant is the same word for arm. And so what the rabbis taught early when they commented on the Bible was that it could well be that Pharaoh's daughter reached her own arm out into the river to bring this child back. And in fact, what they taught was that God miraculously extended her arm to reach that basket. If she were willing to try to help, God was going to intervene and make it possible for her out of her compassion to help this baby. And she brings him in. And of course, the joke is on Pharaoh, who has declared that every um, Hebrew boy be killed in the Nile. And his own daughter, of course, rescues the Hebrew baby who will be the rescuer of the Hebrew people. And then ends up paying Moses' own mother to nurse him on her behalf. A fascinating story. At the end of this story, the Pharaoh's daughter gives this baby a name. And she names him Moses, which essentially means drawn out of the water, but it could also mean rescues through water, which in fact Moses will later do through the Red Sea. He will rescue his people through the water. So we see already that God is at work even in the dark days of the story. And through this Pharaoh's daughter's compassion, Moses is saved. Well, the story continues as Moses grows up. Acts chapter 7 says it's 40 years later. And this time the cry is not the cry of a baby. This time the cry is of an adult Hebrew slave who has been beaten by a taskmaster. And then uh, Moses decides to do something about this. Now, what is interesting to note is that Moses is highly educated, 
But according to tradition and to the historian Josephus, Moses is also a military hero. Hero. Apparently, some years earlier, as a young man, Moses had led the Egyptian army in a victory over the Ethiopians. This comes from Josephus. Some people believe that he stretches the truth, but archaeologists have discovered that most of what he tells us has really been fairly accurate. And so Moses apparently is a military hero. Hero, excuse me, because he uh, a Hebrew is a military hero. Because he's Hebrew, he cannot be an heir to Pharaoh's throne. But what apparently he can become is chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and that's what he is. And and so when he sees this problem, the problem is no longer the Ethiopians. The problem is an Egyptian. Moses decides to do what he's been trained to do, what he knows to do, and looking this way and that, seeing no one, he strikes the taskmaster dead. Now, what's fascinating is, as a father with three kids, I would always be on the alert if my kids look this way and that, and then they go do something. I generally would assume that's not a very good sign. But Isaiah 59 makes this interesting comment. It says, God looks this way and that to see if there's justice being done. And so in Moses' defense, it could be that Moses looks this way and that to see if anybody's going to help this Hebrew. And if nobody's going to help him, then Moses, by gosh, is going to help him, and he does. Now, we can only assume that is not the way God intended for Moses to help, because God apparently does not honor what happens, because what happens is then uh, Moses, apparently, his crime is witnessed, word gets back to Pharaoh, Pharaoh decides to kill Moses, so Moses must run for his life. But this also has an interesting twist, I think, in the story, and that is that it is only by running for his life that Moses will get to Midian, which is, of course, where 40 years later he will see the burning bush. Even in Moses' own mistakes, good things uh, happen. Paul Tournier, the Swiss psychiatrist, once made this observation. He said, the most wonderful thing in the world is not all the good that we accomplish, The most wonderful thing in the world is to see how even when we do evil, it can be turned into good by God. And that's what happens here. Uh, One commentator put this way, God is going to use Moses to deliver the people, but first God has to deliver Moses from Moses. And I think that's a fascinating observation. An educated man, a military leader, Moses looks at the problem and decides on a military solution because that's what makes sense to him. But God plans to do battle another way through the plagues. And so God must first uh, get Moses away from himself and away from his own wisdom so he will learn to use God's plan and follow God's plan. So Moses' own plan ends up falling on its face, and Moses has to run for his life. But even that, as we mentioned, is not beyond God's using. Philip Yancey, a Christian writer, talked about uh, growing up and playing a great deal of chess. And then he gave the game up for a few years, and then one day got an opportunity to play chess against a chess master. And they played several games, and he said, it was very interesting. He said, every classic offense that I ran, every classic maneuver I ran, he said, the chess master knew what to do, and and he he would defeat me and, and send me back. He said, then I started using bizarre, unorthodox strategies. And every unorthodox strategy I used, the chess master turned against me. He said, I realized that he was so good, no matter what I did, whether it was sound or illogical, whether it was good or bad, he always used to serve his purposes instead of mine. 
Yancey then wrote, I wonder if God is similar in that. No matter what we put before God, sometimes uh, evil intentions, sometimes evil acts, sometimes well-intentioned acts that don't work so well, God is able to take all of them and use them to God's purposes. And so we come to the end of the chapter, and we are told that God hears the cry of the Hebrews as it comes up to him again. Now the old Pharaoh has died, and Charleston Heston has come to the throne. Uh, But what tradition tells us is the new Pharaoh was not particularly better than the old Pharaoh. He may be more cruel. He had discontinued the practice of throwing male babies into the Nile, but apparently the new Pharaoh had leprosy, according to tradition, and his medicine men told him the only way to get clean was to bathe in blood, baby's blood, every day. And so, guess what? The Hebrew children again come into play, and tradition tells us that 300 babies a day were killed so that Pharaoh could be cleaned of leprosy. And the cry comes back out. And you better know, that when the cry comes up, God will answer because God has got a history of doing that. Cain kills Abel, and what does God say? God comes into the picture and says, The blood of your brother is crying to me from the ground. Sodom and Gomorrah engage in great wickedness, and what does God say? He said, The cry against them is so great that I've got to find out if they did this. Cries come up. God will answer, and God answers indeed. And God sends Moses and his staff, and Aaron, and the plagues with them upon Egypt. But I want you to notice this. When you read this whole chapter, it's only at the end that it talks about what God is doing. And you might be tempted to think that God only got into the picture at the end. But if you look at the story again and rewind it slowly, you find out some interesting things. First thing you find out is that not only does God use Pharaoh's daughter to rescue Moses, but God gets Moses' mother a job nursing Moses in the whole deal so that the joke is on Pharaoh there. You see that uh, God gets Moses out of his own wisdom and his own strength and his own place of power in Egypt to Midian where God can use Moses and bring him back as a deliverer. This uh, really makes an impact on me because I tend to only think at certain moments that God is active. You know, when I can really see something, I go, wow, God, that was really neat. Glad you did it. I appreciate it. Uh, Glad you, you stepped in. But the reality is that God has been in the picture the whole time, whether we see God or not. It's the story of the Exodus. It's the story of our Exodus, our road to freedom as well. A little over a week ago, I was in Galveston with my wife, and we went to the Galveston uh, History Museum, and as you can imagine, they have a large section uh, dedicated to the uh, Great Storm of 1900. Still, the worst natural disaster in the history of the United States, Six to 8,000 people out of a population of 36,000 uh, perish in the, in the uh, floods after, uh, as a result of this hurricane. And in the display case, among all the pictures that they show, about this great storm is a baby picture. And in his baptismal gown, it's a picture of Frank Nelson Day. As the floods are rising, Frank Nelson Day's mother is concerned because her husband's still at the office. So she gets a friend to try to lead her through the rushing waters toward her husband's office. She's on her way under the guidance of a friend when suddenly the rushing debris, a big piece of wood, hits her. 
dazes her momentarily and causes her to let go of her baby who goes shooting down the opposite direction on the torrent of the floodwater. When she uh, regains uh, her ability to to barely stand up, she looks, the baby's gone. She hasn't found her husband. She hasn't found her baby. The friend finally decides it would be best if they go back home. So they go back home, and they're waiting to see if her husband will make it back. And while they're waiting for her husband to make it back, there is a knock on the door. It's a man that she doesn't know, but she answers the door, and he he says, I know you're going to find this a strange request, said the man. But he said, would you happen to have any baby food? I found this baby in the floodwaters. And he shows her the baby. Of course, it is her own son. As the floodwaters are rising, as the baby has drifted away, as her husband is apparently missing, there seems in Mrs. Day's world no hint at all that the God of the universe is at work. But his mother and baby and father are united. As pieces are put together, they realize that all along things were happening that they did not know that brought it all back together. And so it is in our life. There will be times when the waters will rise. There will be times when the debris will hit hard. And we will wonder, we will wonder, is God there? He is. 